Well, it's good to be back with you, and uh, I understand you just completed a long series, and today's message will be the first of a series of 52 that, uh, that will begin. So, and Mark will pick up next week with number two, and so uh, it might be good if somebody would inform him of that, too, before we get, before we, we get going. Well, I want to read a few verses to set the tone for where we're going today. It was the Passover feast. It was the biggest event of the year. And hundreds of thousands of people had made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But this year, there was something different about the Passover feast. There was something different. There was change in the air because there was this Messiah, this this person by the name of Jesus who came and was saying things that we'd never heard before. He was doing things. He was miracles abounding everywhere. Who was this man? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that was spoken about in the Old Testament who would come and establish his his new kingdom? Notice what it says here. The next day a great crowd had come for the feast and they had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and they they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Tens of thousands of people had come forth. There was this anticipation. Could this be the Messiah? You see, and the disciples were all right there and they were all excited about this as well because they saw, they had a front row seat, they knew who Jesus was and they were excited about what was about to happen because if you were going to establish your kingdom, you would do it right now during the Passover week. And so with great anticipation, the disciples even argued amongst themselves who would sit at the right hand of Jesus. Who would have what position in the kingdom? And no more fishing, guys. I mean, it's going to be great. The Romans are going to be put down. And the religious order that had been somewhat perverted will be turned upside down as the Messiah comes and establishes his new kingdom and we get to participate and be right there. It's amazing. A few nights later, they're having this Last Supper, as we call it. They were having the Passover Supper. It's a great evening. About halfway through the meal, everything is going great. What a wonderful time together as they fellowship and as they begin to anticipate what's going to be happening. But then all of a sudden, something changes that dramatically changes the whole thing. Listen to this. They're all sitting around, enjoying the time together, the fellowship together, and Jesus gets up from the meal. And he begins to wash their feet. And the disciples look at each other going, what is this? The king of kings? God himself is washing. What what is this? Confusion. Confusion entered the minds of the disciples as they sat there looking at each other, wondering, watching Jesus wash their feet. And after he had done that, he sits back down, and with a very troubled spirit, Jesus says to them, one of you is going to betray me. Well, what do you mean one of you is going to betray me? How, How could that be? And... As the anxiety now began to creep into the thoughts and minds of the children, wait, 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 wait a minute, this is a big time here. I mean, we're, we're about to take over, and what is this you mean? Someone is going to betray you. A few verses later, Jesus says, My children, I will be with you only for a little while. 
What, what, what do you, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the establishment of the kingdom. I mean, we're going forth here, and, and you're only going to be here for a little while, and now fear begins to creep into the minds of the disciples. And very quickly, things begin to change. This concern begins to overwhelm them, and there is a hush in the room as they sense that what they expected no longer is going to be the case. Jesus says to them, he can sense their the trouble. He senses it. And this is what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust. Put your belief in me. A few verses later, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid as he senses what's going on. And then he says to them, come with me. And they get up in that room and he leads them out the door down the steps, out into the narrow cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. It's cool, damp, evening air hits them in the face. They walk south. They go out the entrance of the, the gate, at the south gate of the, of the city, and they begin to walk along the Kidron Valley up towards the Mount of Olives, and it's there where Jesus has a divine appointment to be betrayed. And about halfway there, Jesus stops at an ancient vineyard. And it's here where he chooses to give the disciples the last lesson, the last word, you might say a dying man's word, to his disciples. Perhaps the most important lesson for a believer. And he set the stage, and here they are. And so now we have this problem. This is the problem. You see, the problem is the disciples had an expectation of what they thought life was going to be like once they became believers. They had it all worked out. And they were working in their mind towards what was going to happen. See, it's no different with you and with me. You see, I have this expectation of what I think my Christian life ought to be like. I have this expectation that God blesses me. I go out into life and good things happen. And when bad things happen, I call down God's you know, healing power, whatever in my life, and bad things go away. And I have these expectations of what I think my... Christian life ought to be like. And Jesus takes this moment to use an allegory to teach them the true meaning of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You ready? Four parts. There's four parts to this. First, we have the gardener. And the gardener is God. The gardener is God. He, he, he's the one who's in charge of the vineyard. He's the, he, he, nothing happens in the vineyard that God doesn't allow to happen. In other words, God is sovereign. He has control over every part of it. You see, the vineyard, we have the vineyard here, and the vineyard speaks of the world and the time in the world, and we're in the vineyard. That's us. You know, that's the time we're here on earth. So we've got the vineyard, we've got the gardener, and we've got the vine, and the vine is the, the part that comes up and grows down, and this is Jesus, and Jesus is the vine, and and he says, I'm the vine, and, and, and then there's these branches that come off the vine. And then there's this fruit that's established on the branch. And see, we're the branch. Jesus is the vine. The vineyard is the world now, and God is the vine dresser. And in this allegory, we're going to see some amazing truth. So let's read John 1 through 5, and let's read this together. Can we put, put that up on the screen? Let's read this together, can we? I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. What we see here is there's four types of Christians. So everyone here fits in the basket somewhere. See, over here we have this no-fruit Christian. This is someone who's no-fruit. I mean, it, it, it says, you know, I, I'm going to cut off, throw away whoever doesn't bear fruit. Now, I have to stop here for just a moment and, and say that there are some people who think that that's talking about people who are not Christians. And uh, I don't believe that's true in the, uh, in the Scripture because in the first part of that verse, could we put that back there real quick? Uh, there you go. See, I am the true vine, my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that is in me. They're already in him. Once you're a believer, you are a believer. Now, unfortunately, in the NIV version, the word there says cuts off. A better understanding of that word, the Greek word ero, which is used in several other um, um, passages of Scripture, is that it, it's taking away or it takes up. Uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the bread and the fish, and then it says, and the disciples went, and they aero, they took up, they took away 12 basketfuls that were left, same word. And so somehow, and that's the, the word is take away in the, uh, in the King James Version, but as we've come into these other translations, we've used the word that enters some confusion here. So we're really not talking about non-believers here, or we're not talking about a situation where you can lose your salvation either, because we know from um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, Around chapter, uh, verse 10 there, it tells us that there are going to be those people who are believers who've invested their life in things of the world, but it's all hay, wood, and stubble, and will burn up. So it's possible to be a believer and waste your entire life. Now, th this is a believer, but it's somebody whose life has no fruit in it. They obviously have decided to, to, to invest their life in things that are, are, are meaningless. But then we have the other believer. It says that what he's going to do is prune, because he wants you to have fruit in your life. So this is the believer where there's fruit in your life. But you know what? This isn't going to satisfy God because he wants what? He wants more fruit in your life. So he's going to, again, prune and bring things along that are going to result in more fruit in our life. And ultimately, this is what he really wants our life to look like. So the question is, how, what does God do? How does he take us along this journey of going from no fruit to fruit? Well, let's, let's talk about what is fruit for a moment. And uh, we can see in this verse... we bring that up, uh, the whole slide? I guess it's going to take a minute. Maybe it's not. Well, okay, there we go. Is our computer slow? Is it, uh, can we give, bring that up, the rest of the... Uh, or is that the whole... Is that it? Okay. Um, let our people also learn. I believe this is in... Um, well, I have it right here. Uh, this is in, in uh, Titus uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Let our people also, there we go, finally came up. We're a little slow up there in that, uh, in the, uh, this morning. Let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, 
that they may not be unfruitful. So when we talk about, uh, we're talking about fruit, we're talking about good works. Now, the context of Titus chapter 3 is Paul is writing to Titus, and he's telling him about what a healthy church looks like, and what are the measures of a healthy church. And two very simple measures are a church that is spiritually growing. We're growing in our understanding of the things of God. And secondly, we're out engaged in works of service. Now, there's two important things to note here. We're not talking about works related to salvation. We know that there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to earn salvation. The scripture is very clear. You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's by grace through faith that you've been saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. Works is not what we're talking about here. And we're not talking about some form of legalism either. We're not, there are some people who do believe that somehow if they go to church, give some money, and uh, they engage in working at the food kitchen, and they serve on committees and so forth, that somehow in the process they'll gain faith, favor with God. And we're not talking about that kind of... Uh, of works. We're talking about a life change kind of application. And so we know now that, that the, what we're talking about is works, but let's take a look at the type of fruit and how works works its way into that. And there's really two types of fruit. There is this internal fruit, and, and that can best be reflected, but the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, etc. That's fruit. So it's an internal fruit, but it's a fruit that takes place as a result of a transformed life. As I spend time in the Word of God, as I immerse myself in the Word of God and seek to apply it in my life, the transformational effect of this is that there's going to be this inward fruit. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As I spend time engaging my mind in the things of God, all of a sudden, this change takes place within me. If we aren't seeing that transformational change in our life, and we aren't seeing evidence of the fruit of the Spirit beginning to work its way into our life, then it's quite likely that we're not spending the time with God. Let's take a look at another verse in 2 Timothy that gives a little bit more insight to this process. 2 Timothy Chapter 2, Paul says, Suffer hardship with me, he's speaking to Timothy, as a good soldier, soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service will entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if he competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Paul uses this analogy to make a very important point that's relative to what we're talking about here. You see, if you're going to be a soldier, you don't just show up at the battlefield and say, hey, I, 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 give, me, give me the gun, give me the ammunition, point me in the direction. No, it doesn't work that way. No, you, you have to be chosen. You go and apply. Okay? You apply. Then you have to qualify. You have to meet certain requirements. Then you're chosen. And then what do you do after that? You're trained. You go to boot camp. And you spend a couple of months at least, sometimes a few months in this boot camp, 
and, and during that period of time, it's the physical conditioning that takes place, and, and, and it's the learning how to work with people and the relational connection and understanding authority and, and understanding military maneuvers and understanding what missions look like and understanding obedience and how if you're going to survive in, in the military and you're going to do well, you have to be obedient to the chain of command. And all of these things come during this eight-week period. And, and, of course, the point here is that we have to go to spiritual boot camp. We have to immerse ourselves and understand what the Word of God has to say. And, 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 and as a good soldier, we don't involve ourselves with civilian affairs. You see, when you hit the beach and you're tired, with the, as, the, as the maneuver moves on the beach, as you take the beach, I mean, you don't bring your lounge chair with you and your suntan lotion and a towel and you know, and, and, and after the battle has raged for a few hours, say, you know, boss, I think I'm going to go down and just relax. Those people are having such a great time over there and catch a few rays. And No, no, you don't do that. You stay focused on your mission. You know, you know, the athlete is another point here. You see, the athlete, what does the athlete have to do? You know, it's a train. I mean, you're in college, you know, you ran in track in high school and you, you find out, you're reading the papers, hey, there's a college, there's a, there's a meet today. And you show up at the meet and you go to the coach and say, hey, coach, hey, I think I'd like to run the 100-yard dash today. You know, it doesn't work that way. Well, you've got you to go and you sign up and, you know, you've got to qualify. And you've got to, you know, then, then you're ready after you've trained again for the event. Then you go to the event. And, you know, the event starts at 2 o'clock. You can't say, you know what, I'm going to start at 2.30. I, I, I've got some things to do. Could we move it to 2.30? Doesn't work that way. You show up to run in the event, you've got to wear a number. You can't say, you know, I don't like wearing the number. It flops around. Can I just write it on my thumb? No, 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 sorry. You've got to wear the number. Well, okay, but I want to be in the outside lane. You know, my friends are in the stands. I want to, I want to be able to have a good... No, no, sorry. You're in the third lane. Okay? And you can't leave a second too early because that's going to disqualify. I mean, you've got to leave when everybody else leaves, when the, guns goes, when the gun goes off. And, and when the gun goes off, you, know, you need to stay in the third lane. You see, you need to do the way it's been laid out. There is a plan. There are rules that the game is run by. There is a divine design that God has put in place that we are to adjust our life to. Yes, you can run out of lane three and very quickly run to the outside to get where you want to go. You'll be disqualified. You won't get the prize, I mean the fruit. You can do life your own way, but if you do, it won't be in the will of God. And so Paul uses these two lessons here, these, these, these two analogies to help us gain a deeper understanding of what it means to go to spiritual boot camp and to align ourselves and to, to, to do the things that he has laid out for us in order that we might have this eternal, internal fruit. Well, let's look at the second type of fruit that we have. This is uh, external fruit. And let's go to John 15, 16. I love this word, this, uh, this, this verse. So the external fruit is where we're allowing God to work through us, you, to serve others that brings him glory. Now look at John 15. I love this. 19 words, five powerful lessons come out of this. I chose you. Let's stop right there. To me, here we are again. The sovereignty of God. We didn't choose him. He chose us. The sovereignty of God. I chose you that and appointed you. What does that mean, appointed? 
Well, I think I know exactly what that means. He has appointed us, just like we're appointed when we go into the military and we're a soldier, just like when you're an athlete, you are appointed to do certain things. What are you appointed to do? Well, before you run the race, you've got to prepare yourself. There's things that you're going to do. I appointed you, what, what, why? That you should go, that you should engage in the mission, that you should engage in the athletic event. In other words, you go through life in order to be fruit. But not only will you bear fruit, but I want your fruit to remain. So in other words, the fruit that God wants in our life is the kind of fruit that's going to have eternal value. And there's only two things that are going to last for eternity. One is the word of God that comes into our life. That's into, you're going, we're going to take that with us. And then the second type of fruit are the people, those things that we invested our life in. Relationships that pointed people to Christ, the way in which God used us to influence other people. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 6, don't store your, heaven, your, your treasure on this earth where moth, thief, and rust will destroy, but store it in heaven. Now here's something that's kind of... You do not automatically produce fruit. It's not something automatic. You would think, wouldn't you, that this is such a big deal with God that all of a sudden you become a believer and, you know, I've got it. And I, all of a sudden there's this change in me and I just go out and I produce fruit. Wouldn't that be neat? I mean, but God didn't design it that way. He doesn't want a bunch of puppets on a string. No, you get to choose how you're going to respond. You get to choose what you're going to do. The question is, will you choose to align yourself with God's plan, purpose, and will? Or are you going to live your own life like I did for many years and try and call down God's blessing on me and you bless me, God, and we'll do this partnership thing and I'll give you the glory and you solve all my problems and things will be really cool. That's not going to work that way. So you don't automatically produce fruit. You have to respond to the gardener. So things are going to come into your life. God's going to prune, bring some discipline, and you're going to respond to that. And if you respond the right way, guess what? There's going to be more fruit in our life. If you choose not to respond, then you take yourself out of that position for, of growth and take out, miss the opportunity. Every branch is unique. Every branch is unique and will produce a different crop. We, we, the, par, the parable of the talents is very clear. Some will, have been given one, some have been given three, some have been given five. You're going to go into life, you're going to invest your life. The question is, is it going to be eternal things or temporal things? But the person who's, who's been given five is different than the branch that's been given one. God isn't going to hold you responsible you know, to, to, to produce what the five is producing if you're a one. And so each of us have this responsibility to produce. You know, I think of uh, the fellow, the, I've told the story here before, the man that influenced my life, that helped lead me to Christ. I was 18 years old, I was visiting a friend, I was walking through his kitchen, and here was the father of the home, sitting there reading the Bible, and he was writing notes. I'd never seen anybody read a Bible before, I didn't know you could do that. And so I'm watching him, and what he's, you know what he's doing? He's, he's, he's internal fruit. He's reading the Bible, he's studying the Bible, that's internal fruit. It had a transformational effect on his life. As I saw his life change, he, I knew he had something I didn't have. Many of you have probably heard of Johnny Erickson. 17 years old, dives into two feet of water, breaks her neck. Many called it a tragedy. Here was this young girl, had her whole life before her. 
She doesn't see it that way. No, God allowed that to happen for his glory and her benefit. And she will go back to that point and say, this is perhaps the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it led me into a deeper relationship with Christ. And she responded to that, to that event in such a way and God, that God has used her life to bring about incredible amounts of fruit that never would have been there before had she not had that event. Many of you have had those kinds of things that have happened in your life. And as you look back on you can see how God's hand used you in a powerful way during that situation. All right, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Very, very difficult verse. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he loves. It is for this discipline that you endure, for God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You see, God loves you so much. You can choose not to respond. You can choose to say, you know what, I'm going to do life my way. I don't care. I want Christ. I want to go to heaven. But you know what, I got the ticket. I'm good to go. I'm going to go do my own life. God will let you do that. You can choose to do that. Unfortunately, though, he, if, what we've learned here today is that he is going to use the pruning shears. He's going to bring things into your life because this is what he wants, and he loves you so much, he's not going to let you stay here. Things are going to happen in your life. And the pruning shears are going to come, and then it's our responsibility to respond, and as I respond, all of a sudden there's fruit in my life, and now that I'm here, and God's going to allow other things to come into my life until he can... Get me here. Now, here's the problem. I can fight against this and say, I will not. Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't like it. This is not my expectations of what I think the, what life ought to be like. Just like the disciples were struggling that night, trying to understand, wait a minute, this isn't going the way we thought. This is the way it's supposed to go. And God says, no, it is not your will. It is my will. And your responsibility is to adjust yourself to the will of God. That's why I came. I died. And now you are my follower. You're my disciple. We learn from this verse in Hebrews that there's three types of discipline. Discipline is an all-encompassing word, but there's three types of discipline. There's rebuke, there's chastisement, and there's scourging. Three degrees, three different things. A, rebu a rebuke, everybody here has been rebuked. You know what that is. It's a strong warning. You know, when you were a kid, you remember like what it was like at your parents and all your mom had to do or your dad had to do was look at you in a way just kind of... And you just knew. You didn't even have to say a word. Just look at you. You'd walk in. Mom would walk in. The, you know, just say one word. Billy. And you knew. That was a rebuke. It's a warning. I was living in Celebration, Florida, or, and uh, just outside Orlando, and we, we were going to a church there. And, and, and I remember we got a call from Doc Jones and his wife. Doc Jones was a 75-year-old retired pastor. Wonderful couple. Doc Jones calls, talks to my wife, Debbie, and says, hey, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is having their national meet, annual meeting here right across the street at the Hyatt Hotel. Would you guys like to go? There's 1,500 people coming from all over the world. It'll be an amazing event. Every night, someone new is speaking, and they had all these great speakers that were coming in. 
nationally known people who are going to be speaking. We thought, yeah, that's great. So Debbie goes over and gets registered, and we're going to go to the event, and then afterwards we can go down to the little bakery cafe they had and have a coffee and a piece of pie and talk about the message. It'll be great. So Debbie goes over and registers, and then she comes back, and she's reading each night the, the speakers that are going to be there, and, and then she says, oh, look at this. The second night, uh, um, uh, Jerry Falwell is going to be speaking. And I thought, Jerry Falwell? I said, I'm not sure I want to go. I'm just not, I'm just not interested in listening to Jerry. I, I, just, I wouldn't want to meet Jerry Falwell. Okay? He's just not my type of guy. You know when you say something stupid, you just thought, oh my, you just said something stupid. Well, Monday night, John, Doc Jones says, okay, hey, we'll meet you over there. So we went over there and we listened to David Jeremiah or someone preach. It was wonderful. And we went down back to the bakery cafe and we're sitting down having a cup of coffee and a piece of pie, just having a good time together. And, and, and all of a sudden from behind me, I hear this voice and this voice goes, Doc Jones. And Dr. Jones just looks up and goes, Jerry, how are you doing? Fear gripped me as I realized, no, 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 this can't be. And sure enough, Reverend Jerry Falwell walks right up and he just, Don Jones gets up and they sit and have this hug and how are you doing? And they're good friends. And I'm sitting there turning myself, looking away and kind of looking at my wife and she's just going, <laughs> I'm sure God was just put, brought back to heaven, got the angels again and said, you guys got to see this, look at this, look at this. And then Don turns to me and he says, Jerry, 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 I want you to meet a good friend of mine. So I stood up. Blake, this is Jerry Falwell. Jerry, this is Blake. Okay, I get it, Lord. I got rebuked. Kind of a good thing. Chastisement, though, is a little bit different. You see, chastisement happens. That's that emotional stress that comes into our life. Anybody ever had that? Emotional stress coming into your life? Weekly? Okay. Could be any one of those little things. You know, no, I, Mike, I know you're not going to like this, Mike, but, you know, uh, I know that, you know, you're planning this big thing and you've been a little too much value on the music, but, you know, I'm, I need to teach you and show you how big that I am, and I know your drummer's not going to show up, and I know it's going to be 20 minutes before, but I want to show you something, Mike. You see? I'm going to... Oh, there's the drummer right there. He's gone. But then I'm going to show you how I can answer that prayer and how I'm going to bring this, because you see, I want to teach you, it's in, the, in the big scope of life, it's not going to be, but I'm going to teach you this little lesson that I'm going to bring this thing into your life because I want to do this work in you, but I also want to do a work in his life because I want him to be able to respond when opportunity, and all these things are working together for my will. Yes, you experience the emotional momentary stress, but you know what? I'm bigger than all of that. And then we have this tough verse here that says the scourging, to whip or to inflict punishment. That's what it says. That, that's what it says. God says, you know, and usually when we get to this point, there is open blatant sin in our life. I mean, we have total disrespect. We know what's true, and we're living in conflict with the truth. And if, if you're going you're gonna to get a rebuke, if you don't respond to the rebuke, there's going to be some... Uh, of the other of the discipline, the chastisement is going to come. If you continue to ignore through that, there will be a scourge that could come. Doesn't necessarily mean that the big thing that's in your life is necessarily sin. But certainly sin will do it. You see, when we talk about what we've got to understand with the vine, there's two things that are very important about this vine. Number one is, is that when the vine grows, that all of a sudden it will always want to 
produce additional growth. So in other words, the branch sprouts out, and all of a sudden, all this other growth springs out. And so what the gardener has to do is he has to come in here, and he has to continually clip away at all of the, all of the extra growth in order that the branch can grow. Because without doing that, the branch won't produce any fruit. And so symbolic of all this growth is, are, are, are all the things of the world that creep into our life that are competing for our time. The second thing that's important for us to note is that when it, it, it is true about a vine is that it has a tendency to constantly grow up and then out and down. And when the vine grows out and it grows down, and it gets on the ground and it mixes with the dirt. And when it gets with the dirt and the wet and the mildew, it, it, it will not grow. And so the gardener has to come along and say, the vine is worth so much that I have to spend time to tie you up. And, and it, will, it will attempt to clip it off and tie it up so that it will go up where it can get the right amount of oxygen, air, and sunshine in order to produce a fruit. But see, symbolic of this is that I, as a believer, will always respond to my sinful nature in the worldly ways, and so my tendency is to grow out and to go down into the dirt, and God has to come along and say, okay, Blake, listen, this, 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 this is the third time I've been here in the last two weeks, and somehow you've managed to break loose when I tied you up, and I know you're not going to like this, but I value you too much. If you're going to produce fruit, and I want you to produce fruit, and right now you're not acting like you want to produce fruit, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to have to do this. You're not going to like it. Mary, you're not going to like it. David, you're not going to like it, but this is the only way. Oh. And now I'm going to tie you up. And, and now, right here, I'm going to put you next to, right here, I'm going to put you next to Bob and Sam. And right here, now you will grow. And, and pretty soon you'll look like this. And, 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 oh, man. Bill, look at you. Look at, I remember when you were down here just a just, just few months ago. And I remember those things that came into your life and how you've responded in such a way. And now you're, you're producing fruit. And, you know, Bill, I... There's some things that I need to do, and I, I know that there's going to be foot surgery here soon, and, and I'm going to allow this to happen in your life because there's things, you've been so busy, and that's going to quiet you down, and there's some things I want to teach you, and, and oh, if you'll respond to me, if you'll respond to me, and oh, Sally, look at, Sally, look at you, and oh, I, for the last six months, we've been, you're starting to become more abundant now, and, and, and you know, there's things that, I'm, I'm, I've got to do this, Sally. I know that you've been growing and there's just some things that are going to slow you down and I know that you know, this health thing is going to happen and, 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 and then I'm going to have to follow that up. There's a financial thing that's going to happen. But you know, how you respond, what you're going to see is you're going to learn you know, how to depend on me now and that's the only way to, to get you to the next level. And Bob, I know that you've been... Look at you, this is amazing, and here you are, 30 years of believer, and I really desire deep intimacy with you, Lord. Uh, Bob, I just, and the only way you can experience it with the Lord is, is, is I'm going to allow this to happen to you. I'm going to allow this, Blake. I'm going to allow you to have cancer, because oh, I know that you're not going to like this. I know it's going to seem odd to you, but you know there's one thing I'm going to do in your life that will draw you closer to me, that will allow you to share an intimacy with me that that you haven't, oh, and the things that I want to do in terms of fruit, they're, they're there, but. Oh, man. But it's me. I mean, I know it says walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I'll fear no value, but this is me. I, I got cancer. Hey. You get to respond. You can choose how you're going to respond. 
question is, how are you going to do it? God loves you too much to keep you wherever you are. If you're here, he wants you here. If you're here, he wants you here. If you're here, he wants you here. And he will use the pruning shears and discipline to move you from where you are to the next level. The I'm, not, I'm not making this. I'm not saying this. The Word of God says it. How many times have you had a problem? Called your small group and said, hey, we need to solve this problem. We need to pray that God would solve this problem. I'm at a point where I'm very uncomfortable, church, doing that. I really am. I don't know what God is doing in your life or your life or your life. I'm willing to pray. But what I want to pray is that somehow whatever event God is doing in your life, that you will respond in such a way that will glorify him and benefit you. To seek out and to understand, what are you teaching me? Lord, how can, because he does this to conform him more to the image of Christ, that I might respond. Pain comes that I might be used by God to, to be able to minister and use it for other ways, for other ministry, for other purposes. But we've, got, we've bought into this idea that somehow life should be perfect, I get the free ride, or that everything's going to go my way. And that's not, I, I don't see that in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying we don't pray for healing. Absolutely, I'm not saying that. Lord God, I want to be healed. When I got my cancer, I mean, I finally got to the point where I said, Lord, I have to, knowing what I know, I have to say, this is about you, not me. Here I am, whatever message you have for me, help me to be open to listen and to know what you want to do with my life. And if that means I die next week, next year, five years, so be it. You are in control. It doesn't say anywhere in the Word of God that Blake Ashdown will live till he's 95 years. It doesn't say that. Somehow I want to live my life, though, as if it does. You know, there's an interesting paper written. John Piper wrote a paper not long ago. John Piper is a nationally known theologian. And... Uh, very popular speaker. He wrote a book several years ago called Don't Waste Your Life. One year ago, John Piper was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Whoa, whoa, Lord, now it's me. Yeah, he went through the whole process, came out of it on the other end, and he decided to write a paper, a white paper called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Don't Waste Your Cancer. And he wrote a neat 10 points, 10 Thanks. I won't read them to you. You can go online, John Piper. Cancer is all you have to Google, and you'll get the paper. It, incredible insights into the pruning that takes place in our life and how God uses even the most difficult things to take us places that we otherwise, just like Johnny, couldn't have gotten to before in order that we might produce a fruitful harvest. So here's the question. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your fill-in-the-blank. What is it in your life? Don't waste your fill-in-the-blank. Marriage difficulty? Divorce? Financial difficulty? What pain, what issue, child, friend, business? I mean, there's all kinds, of, everyone here has a fill-in-the-blank. What is it? Don't waste your three lessons I want to leave you with three thoughts thought number one God is sovereign he is absolutely sovereign he loves you he has his best interest in mind your best interest and he is in control and so 
When we're here and pain begins to come in, we have to respond in a way, Lord God, I know you love me, I know, and it's for some reason you've allowed this to happen, and it's, it's for your glory, my, my benefit. Lord, I need to figure this, I need to understand and respond so that I can produce more fruit. Number two, is we honor God with a fruitful life. That's how we honor God. Not by being successful at what we do, but by having a fruitful life. And here's the thing, though. In the toolbox of God, there are a number of tools that he is going to use, not the least of which is discipline and pruning to get me from point A to point B. Ooh. It's the design of God. And thirdly, all that happens in my life all that happens can contribute to his glory and my benefit. Here's my responsibility. My responsibility is to rightly respond. If I don't rightly respond to the shears, to the pruning, then I take myself out from underneath the blessing that he wants to. I remove myself from the fruit that can take place in my, in my life. We get to choose. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your... You fill in the blank. Let's pray. Father, I, 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 I can't think of a more difficult lesson that the disciples had to learn and, and that I've had to learn. Lord, I, I just trust that your word will illumine our hearts and minds to the reality of how you have designed life. You love us so much. You want us to be fruitful. And, and Lord, it's up to us to respond to you. And Lord, there's many, many instruments and things that you use, the word of God, loving words of a friend. And sometimes, though, it's the pruning shears, those difficult circumstances that you bring into our life. Not that there's anything, perhaps, even a fault of mine. It's just that you've allowed it to, to move us closer to you. And I pray that as we've spent time this morning considering these very difficult verses, that somehow you would transform us, that you would give us insight, that we would look at everything that happens in our life as that opportunity to glorify you and to benefit us. As Johnny, looking back, Johnny Erickson Tata, as she looks back on what would appear to be to many to be a tragedy, can thank God for all that has happened in my life, for the fruit that is there. May we yield to you and understand it's not about this life. No, it's about the life to come. So we commit this message, this lesson to you, the lesson of the vine. May our expectations be your expectations and help us, Lord, to align our will with yours. We commit this to you this day now, thanking you in the precious holy name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.